Good afternoon, I'm, Al Cre- I'm Mark Speeter, filling in for Al Cresta on Cresta in the afternoon. I sometimes make that mistake. Now, we're talking with Carl Olson about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a mysterious figure in the New Testament. He was famous in his own day even before he became the herald of Christ. And we know about him even from outside the New Testament. And if he appeared today and began preaching on a street corner, what would people say? What would we say? This wild-looking man shouted for people to repent and return to God's way of life. This Sunday's Gospel tells a story, and we take a look at it with Carl Olson. Carl is editor of Catholic World Report and Ignatius Insight. He is the author of Did Jesus Really Rise from the Dead? Will Catholics Be Left Behind? and other books. He's also contributed to our Sunday Visitor newspaper, The Catholic Answers Magazine, The Imaginative Conservative, The Catholic Herald, National Catholic Register, Chronicles, and other publications. Carl, how are you doing? Good, thanks. Great to be with you. Oh, likewise. It's, uh, it, it's, it's great to finally be able to uh, speak to you. Uh, you and I have been in communication on and off about articles we published, and uh, this was sometime in the past. I don't know if you even recall it, and it's, it's really gl- great to be able to connect with you over the radio this way. Yeah, exactly. Thanks. So, uh, what what can we know about John the Baptist, and what ought we to know about John the Baptist? Well, of course, we know that he's Jesus' cousin, and of course, we have the the well known story of John the Baptist leaping in the womb of his mother Elizabeth when Mary comes to visit, and so that's really the beginning. We see the connection between these two men. Um, but the interesting there's a lot of interesting things about John the Baptist. One, of course, is that he really upset a lot of people, right? Um, His message was a really strong one. It was one of repentance. I mean, that's his language, repent. You know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's very demanding. And when he speaks to the the Pharisees and other religious leaders, he's very, you know, we would call him, uh, you know, kind of toxic and condemning and harsh and all that. But I think the key to, to understanding John the Baptist was his relentless focus on God and doing the work of God. And during Advent, you know, there's two people in addition to, of course, Jesus Christ, there's two people that really focus on, one of them being John the Baptist and the other being Mary, the mother of Jesus, the mother of God. And it's because those two people, John the Baptist and Mary, have such a unique relationship with Jesus Mm -hmm. and are perfect, in many ways, well, of course, Mary is exactly a perfect disciple of, of Jesus, but John the Baptist is too. And John the Baptist is interesting because he kind of works himself out of a job, right? <laughs> I mean, he, he does his work, he proclaims Christ, he points to Christ, especially when he baptizes him, which is when we have the, the, the revelation of the, of the Trinity, the triune God for the first time. And then he kind of gets away. Of course, we do have the, the famous account of his, his martyrdom, being executed because again he spoke very strongly uh, against um, this this uh, evil marriage and, and relationship. That right, Herod and Herodias. Herod yeah, right. Herod. So that, you know, there's about seventeen Herods and that's Herodias, right, that's right. and they all seem to try to kill each other. <laughs> and, and but the the thing there is that he spoke out about the truth mm-hmm. of marriage. He spoke out about the truth of adultery. What he's speaking by. Uh, and baptizing, he speaks about the need for repentance. And I think the, the thing I would say here, I would really emphasize, is that during Advent sometimes, I think we approach it like, oh, this is kind of a warm and fuzzy build-up to, to Christmas, when actually Advent is really, really challenging. 
I mean, we are called, just like in Lent, we're called to really examine ourselves, to mm-hmm. prepare our souls for the coming of Christ, not just uh, thinking back to the coming 2,000 years ago, but also to the coming at the end of time, when there will be judgment. And then the third way Christ comes, of course, is when he comes to us in various ways, but especially in the Eucharist. And I think we should consider all these comings of Christ and how we must be prepared for each one of them. Right. And as we contemplate the figure of John the Baptist, his, as you said, he worked himself out of a job because his entire job was to point the way to Jesus Christ. He announced the coming of the Lamb of God, and he, he spoke about how he must increase and I must decrease. And there's this whole uh, beautiful thing that the church does with the summer and winter solstice and uh, uh, their, their feast days. And, you know, we can talk about that in a little bit. But uh, like you said, he works himself out of a job. How does that relate to how we ought to conduct ourselves? in our lives of faith with Jesus Christ? Well, I think the thing about John is that he's, it's not that he, you know, goes away and he's no longer thought of. In fact, Christ really points to John, you know, as the greatest of the prophets. Mm-hmm. And then he makes that comment about, however, you know, you're, you're, you're greater than, all of you are greater than him. And so what Jesus is really marking there is how John brings to completion this final age of the Old Covenant. And now the the New Covenant is revealed, and the thing, of course, that's unique about the New Covenant is Christ himself, the Incarnate Word, and how every single person who is baptized with the Holy Spirit, that is baptized with the fire of the Holy Spirit, is made a, a true son and daughter of God, filled with divine life. This is something that John the Baptist and all the other prophets point towards, but they themselves did not have that gift in that way through baptism. Um, and and so John is kind of a, para, a paradoxical figure because he is so incredible, he's so vital, he's so much at the center, and yet as he says, uh, you know, I must decrease so that he, Christ, can increase. Mm-hmm. And I think it's there in those words that we really find where our relationship with John the Baptist, I think, is so vital in that we must decrease in the sense of we must die to our desires, our passions, whatever our particular Things are anything that is keeping us from Christ. Mm-hmm. Die to those things, so that Christ then can become everything for us, can fill us with His divine life, can make us even more, uh, you know, walk even more closely with Him uh, during Advent and into Christmas and so forth. Um, and I think that's in that statement of John the Baptist is really real. I think for me, at least, it resonates in that. It's not that my personality goes away, that I become less than a person. In fact, mm-hmm. quite the opposite. Yep. As as my desires decrease, then I become more fully who I'm meant to be, which is a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I think that's what John the Baptist is, uh, points us towards. Amen. We're talking with Carl Olson, editor of Catholic World Report and Ignatius Insight, on the mystical figure of John the Baptist. So, Carl, uh, let, let's go back to some of the other uh, key reasons why we can ponder greater upon what John calls us to. John essentially beckoned people to detach from anything that keeps them away from their faith. And and he did this even at the cost of his own life because he was so detached. Like you said, he proclaimed the truth even when it cost him his life. Uh, you know, just just share with us as an exhortation, perhaps, how that should translate into us Catholics in the public sphere right now. Yeah, I think this is one of the things that keeps us from sometimes embracing John the Baptist, right? Because mm-hmm. he's so he seems so extreme. I mean, he lives, he's, he's 
basically has the clothes on his back. He lives off of bugs, for crying out loud. <laughs> he lives out in the desert. We say, well, that's great for some people, that really harsh, ascetic lifestyle. And that's correct. That's what God calls certain people to. The key here is that God calls every single one of us to follow him completely, whatever our state in life, married, single, uh, whatever it is, we're called to follow him completely. And I think my belief is what that means is there's going to be points in our life where we really have to choose very clearly. Mm -hmm. Am I going to follow Christ in the way of the cross at this particular moment in my life? Am I going to sacrifice my desires, my wants, for what Christ wants, for what God wills for me? And, and maybe sometimes those decisions are very subtle. Maybe people don't even notice them. Or sometimes maybe they're very dramatic. We think of, of course, the martyrs in that regard. But the key is every single one of us will have those moments, and every single one of us during Advent and Lent and so forth, this is where we're building up the habits so that when those, those moments come, whether it's in the quietness of our heart, whether it's a more dramatic public event, we make the correct choice. We follow Christ out of, out of love, out of authentic desire to be united with him, rather than just out of fear or, or some kind of subservience. And I think that's the key here, that mm-hmm. this whole relationship between John the Baptist and, and Mary, the mother of God, and Jesus Christ is one of perfect love, right? A perfect right. self-gift. Right. And it's perfectly ordered towards the Father. And I think that, too, is really essential here, that we, we, we come to worship. When we go to Mass, when we worship God, that we really keep that, those relationships in mind and what they, they teach us about uh, authentic love. Right. And, you know, this is precisely why there are so many paintings that depict Mary, the mother of uh, Mary and Christ, uh, the Christ child, and John the Baptist is there. You know, right. he, he's a slightly right. older cousin because these three genuinely model on a very human level what selflessness and love for the Lord God should look like in, in, uh, in, in its sacrificial nature uh, to its extreme. So what, what you're essentially sharing with us, just like how a lot of Catholics feel martyrdom. But what you're essentially sharing with us is that when one is so hopelessly in love with the Lord, it makes sense to want to lay down your life for that other person. Yeah, I, I, I've recently uh, taught a course in uh, fundamental theology for the Archdiocese of Portland here, and we talk a lot, of, we talk at the beginning about some essential things like the nature of the Trinity, and one thing I really strive to do is get them to see that the belief in the triune God is not some kind of abstract thing. It is the very core, the essence of what we believe as Christians. And it's mm-hmm. out of this perfect self-gift and loving relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that the Father, out of love, sends the Son, and the Son then gifts us the Holy Spirit so that we can enter into that same life of love, of perfect self-gift, and again, love the Father. Now, Again, it can seem kind of abstract, but we really start to think about what that means when we see the lives of the saints, right? When we see how John is willing to speak the truth, and he is he dies for it, or when you know other, or we think of even like uh, Therese of Lisieux, who suffered and died at a very young age, mm-hmm. and yet had this incredible interior life. Um, it's because they these people give gave themselves mm-hmm. uh, because they recognize that there's life hereafter. There's something greater than just this temporal world. In fact, this temporal world is really a gift to us so that we can enter into the divine, supernatural uh, life. And I think um, John the Baptist is such a great example. He's, you know, I, I think of John is, 
kind of guy that we really should be more happy to embrace because he's so strange, <laughs> so contrary, right? It's it's easy to go along with the crowd. It's easy to say yes when everybody else is saying yes. Right. Um, right. Now, I'm not saying that we should just be jerks or contrarians, but John wasn't a jerk or a contrarian. He was obsessed with truth because he saw truth in the person of Christ. He understood that truth was personal, not just abstract. Right. Right. And, and you know, uh, Carl, that's a perfect place for us to contemplate that. I want to invite all of us to keep meditating on the enigmatic, mis- mystical, and mysterious figure of John the Baptist. We've been talking to Carl Olson, editor of Catholic World Report and Ignatius Insight. We have to have you on the show in the future, Carl. I'm Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta on Cresta in the Afternoon.